I'm, I'm just as interested in the crack in the sidewalk as I am with some kind of monumental statue or some homeless person or some somebody that's um, some executive. I, I mean, they're all to me as interesting. So no, I, I don't really. You know, I, again, I walk down. I think you have just to be open. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, folks, today we are talking with what has to be the senior living legend in our business. We're talking with Steve McCurry. Steve, of course, took what is probably the most famous single image of the last hundred years, the one called Afghan Girl. But his list of credits would take me another half hour simply to recite. Steve won the Leica Hall of Fame Award, the Hasselblad Master Robert Kappa Gold Medal for Best Photographic Reporting Award. He's got the Robert Kappa Gold Medal, National Press Photographers, four first prizes from the World Press Photo Contest. The Royal Photographic Society in London gave Steve the Centenary Medal for Lifetime Achievement, and he was inducted into the International uh, Photography Hall of Fame. He's been a magnum photographer since 1986 and so many covers of, of little magazines like National Geographic. I mean, Steve's work is known by not only all of us who you know, consider ourselves photographers, but known by basically anybody who looks at images anywhere on this planet. Steve, how are you doing this morning? Welcome to the podcast series. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I am I am looking for this. Steve, I want to begin with something that you, you probably uh, don't expect because I've been, you know, chuckling about this and, and then really sort of thinking about this for the last couple of days. There is a typo in a write-up about one of your upcoming shows. Not one that, you know, it's, it's not from your world, but there is an exhibit over in Paris uh, at Southeast 57, Southeast 57, and they left the L out of the world of Steve McCurry. And so it reads in the text, the word of Steve McCurry. And the reason I've I've been chuckling about that is because the the title you gave it, the world of Steve McCurry is what you see. The word of Steve McCurry is what you say. And so so I'm curious now because, you know, you've been at this for more than a couple of years. Is is there a style that you're you're comfortable explaining? Is it, what, what is a Steve McCurry photograph here at this point in your career? Well, you know, if you talk about style of a photographer or a writer or an artist or whatever, I think it, for me it just simply means photographing in your own voice, in your own way, and looking at the world and responding to the world and and commenting on the world and 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 trying to uh, kind of interpret the world and i mean for me the I think the most important thing i could do with my life or would want, what i wanted to do with my life was simply um, see this world that we live in meet people explore different cultures it's it's, it's kind of a journey of discovery and uh, you know i think if you're a curious person about the world that that I mean, what better way to spend your time than to you know walk through a forest and explore the trees and the vegetation and the animals? We, I think we tend to get so caught up in our lives and working and 
all the, you know, we're kind of racing around, but to actually, you know, slow down and observe, wander, to me, that's kind of the most important thing I can do, really. But but your work, you know, despite being photojournalistic, despite all the portraits and stuff, it, it is not simple documentary work. It, it's not unconstructed or, or underimagined. There does seem to be a real statement to your work. Yeah. If you're shooting for, a, a, you know, a, a newspaper, I think people want the facts. They want to see, you know, what does the place look like? You know, there's a, whatever it may be, um, an event or a portrait of somebody or, you know, a sporting event. I don't think there's a lot of room for interpretation or, I, I guess maybe the best way to describe it is, you know, you're given an assignment by a newspaper or magazine to photograph uh, an event or uh, you know, a portrait or a, a news, you know, something happening uh, in, the, in the news. And I think there's expectations about what the editor wants you to to come back with. If they send you to New Orleans for Mardi Gras or you're in Minnesota and they want you to photograph uh, – <laughs> One of the things they always want you to get a weather shot. You know, it's snow. Yeah. And you need a picture of the snow. Or um, if there's a, you know, so there's expectations because they're paying you and they expect you to come back with a certain kind of thing, which is, you know, because I think the readers need to see, you know. For me, I kind of feel like I want to go to a place and kind of see it in my own way. And if I decide that, you know, I'm in Mardi Gras, and I, maybe I don't want to show the, you know, the wide shot uh, of the street or Bourbon Street or whatever. Maybe all, all I want to do is make portraits and maybe certain kind of portraits of certain kind of people because that's what interests me. So if you went took that back to your editor, you'd probably get yelled at and probably fired or never given another assignment because – they wanted certain expectations, and they don't really want your point of view. They want to know what the place kind of looked like. You know, they want something more kind of objective. For me, I, I want to kind of get under the skin of a place in, in my own way and photograph, you know, just sort of what interests me personally, and maybe a very narrow well, let, let, let's chase that down a little bit because I, I'm, you, you use the word portrait a little bit, and certainly a great deal of your work uh, is portraiture. You know, not only up close headshot kind of stuff, but larger, more social portraits as well. Or your sister has a marvelous book out about your work. It's called A Life in Pictures, which I've just been loving. I mean, going through this, I'm learning all, all the deep secrets of your past and everything. But one of the things that struck me in there uh, is that when you were in school and you were taking, you know, um, a photo class, you went out on your own to take portraits of doors and windows. And and I'm curious about two things there. Why doors and windows, but also why use the word portraits? I mean, how do you take a portrait of a door? Well, first of all, uh, Minor White, this uh, kind of incredible photographer, um, made a, a picture of a, of a window with this reflection and it, it, it's, it's kind of like one of my favorite, most, my most favorite photographs uh, ever. It's just one of these magical, simple, minimal images with uh, this great, funny, this, this uh, 
this reflection with this kind of, and it's just this great shapes and and this really kind of poetic image. So I think that's kind of what inspired me. Also, I think uh, looking at Walker Evans and uh, some of his architecture and signs and, you know, I, I think that may have had something to do with it too. Also, as a person who had, at that time had, had very limited experience with with a camera, it was something which, it was kind of an easy way to stick your toe in the in the water because, um, you know, doors and windows, it doesn't require any permission or, and as far as the portraits go, I, I think that I don't really, didn't really see that. Or I don't know that she saw that as um, portraits, but I did photograph people on the street and some children. So that was kind of uh, right. But the thing which I loved, so I was studying filmmaking, which was uh, cumbersome in, in involved sort of a crew or a team. You had a big, awkward kind of movie camera with a sound recorder and cables and all this kind of stuff. Whereas with a 35 millimeter camera, I could literally just walk out the door and photograph and then decide when to start, when to stop, what where to go. If I wanted to stop and sit down and eat something, I could do that. And, and literally just follow my own nose. I think, yeah, that's always been my first choice is just to kind of I mean, for I always, whenever I was traveling on any assignment, uh, a lot of my time was spent just wandering. And um, I thought, okay, well, I can that those pictures that they expect, I can, I can do that, and then spend the rest of my time just working for me. Yeah, you know, re- reading the book, yeah, I'm I'm reading these stories about you know you hanging out in street corners, bunch of rough kids back in in Philly, reading some of your other adventures, and then I'm looking at your portraits where you've got you know the majority of your portraits, certainly not all, but the majority of them, you've got people looking right down the lens. There's a real immediacy. There's a real, you know, a sense of anticipation or something's about to happen uh, to a lot of your images. Tell me about that that style of a headshot for a portrait, but tell me also, you know, let's go back to this notion of voice. What are you trying to say by getting these people so filled with something in your lens? Well, I think you, when you're looking, uh, walk down the street and you're looking at other people that you pass and occasionally there's somebody that really speaks to you the the, the face the character something which really seems important something maybe you see something of yourself or something you've experienced or there's some connection with the way they look with their face that you think that this isn't this is something i really want to remember this is something which i think tells a great human story this is a picture I would want to, you know, show my family or friends, just because it's so, you know, that there's such a great story. Um, and I, I think that's basically some profound expression or look in the in their eye. Or are you are you are you looking for something? In, I mean, I've talked to other photographers and they say I'm going out to photograph irony or I'm going out to photograph hope. You know, do, 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 are you looking for something or are you no. just waiting to see what appears? No, I, I don't go out with any kind of. I'm I'm just as interested in the crack in the sidewalk as I am with some kind of monumental statue or some homeless person or some somebody that's um, 
some executive. I, I mean, they're all to me as interesting. So no, I don't really, again, I walk down there. I think you have just to be open for, for any eventuality, uh, whether it's a portrait, whether it's reflection, just something that's sort of like, you know, I'm going to be dead soon. And what's the best way I can use my time, this brief amount of time on this planet? I just want to just be fascinated and, and look at this world and, and all the things I literally can't think of anything more important. Maybe reading a good book or, you know, being with a friend or a wife or a lover or whatever, you know, to spend an afternoon to go out and, and sort of appreciate the fact that you're, that we're alive and we actually are able to walk down the street and see the world that we live in. You, know, you think about all this stuff in the world, you know, the gardens of Kyoto and uh, the Grand Canyon and the pyramids and, and um, you know, the Himalayas and on and on and on and on and on. I mean, is there anything more important than going to these places and learning about them? And, and uh, I mean, for me, going to the Grand Canyon was hugely profound. And, and it's just the, the wonder of that thing and how it was – made over you know the millions of years i mean you know, what else, what am i going to do um you know i mean it's I just um, it's just to me is again there's other things in life that are important too but that for me as far as a kind of a profession or uh, you know a way to spend my time my craft my art um, well well steve is, t- t- Tell me, tell me a little bit about this because you've got a book called In Search of Elsewhere. Um, that's what you call the collection in Frames Magazine. Everybody, that's volume two of Frames Magazine, if you've got it sitting right there, magnificent photos. And in the um, the biography, A Life in Pictures, you're quoted as saying, you know, people ask you all the time, what's your advice for photographers? And the very first thing on your list is always leave home. You know, so what, a, and, and you know, you, you, you started your career basically with a one-way ticket to India. What about heading out is important for not only good composition and, you know, good photographs, but sort of the soul of a photographer? You know, leave your comfort zone. I mean, you could almost say rather than kind of leave home, I mean, it's sort of go to a place, maybe it's even, maybe it's in your family or neighborhood or your community or your state or your region or whatever, and try and examine it look at it in a, in a new way. Sometimes it gets so complacent because we're seeing the same thing every day. But sometimes if you can just step back and see it uh, anew, I mean, for me, uh, going to a place like India was such a kind of a shock to, to really get lost in this place and these kind of unknown places for me that I had never heard of or never seen and see how People are living their lives, and they've done it there far longer than you know before we had any you know United States. And uh, so, to me, that you know, get out of your comfort zone, go someplace, be curious, discover a place. There's like a whole world that opens up when you start to really examine a place and, and see it. 
Well, you know, th 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 there is a criticism for those of us that do travel photography is that by going to the other place, we're somehow you know, perpetuating a cliche of the exotic. What, what's the difference between that and being out of your comfort zone? Well, I'm not sure who's making up the rules. Um, and <laughs> not I'm me. Not sure, uh, it's like saying to Monet, hey, uh, you know these water lily pictures? First of all, I can't understand what the fuck you're talking about in this picture. <laughs> and you're living next to this village. You're ignoring these people. Show us what life is like there and stop focusing on something that has no social significance. And he could say, well, excuse me, I I'm living my life the way I want to live my life. And uh, why don't you mind your own business? Oh, man, I, I love that. This gets back to, to the, you know, to the word of any of us, you know, to the what we want to say versus what other people want to hear. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I don't want somebody to say you have no right to photograph here or there because you haven't lived that experience. I could say, well, OK, then, you know what, we're not going to allow a Chinese photographer, a Russian photographer an Indian photographer, anybody from Africa, South America, or Asia, don't come to the United States with a camera because you haven't lived my life or my experience and you shouldn't be telling my story. <laughs> I mean, maybe I see it in a wrong way. I get the colonial thing. I get that the Brits were in India for you know hundreds of years. I, I know about the colonialism and all that in Africa and all that. But you're really telling me I don't have a right to go there with my camera because of some colonial, some, you know, I, I don't, I don't accept that. I, I don't accept that. I think that, you know, I spent two years, my first 78 and 79 wandering around India on, on, on buses thing and $1 a night hotel rooms, basically eating off the street. I, I, I lived for months in, Afghanistan and people's homes, uh, literally sleeping on their floor and eating uh, with them at their invitation. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I get the whole thing, white privilege, white savior complex, but and I get you know that you know I I just think we have to. We're all going to be gone soon, and I don't want to miss any opportunity that I think is important to, 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 you know, my life. And, you know, I want to take my daughter to Asia. I, she's already been to India. She's been to China. She's been to Vietnam. She's been to Chile and Ecuador, Easter Island, and, and uh, lots of other places around the world. And she's five years old. I think it's important for her to understand there's other people in the world with different languages, they eat different food. They listen to different kinds of music and different religions. And we need to understand it and appreciate it. So I want her to, to respect other people, other cultures, and to, to, you know, have some knowledge about the world that we live in. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. 
And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. Oh, man, I love it. A couple things. I mean, to make it make a little bit of, of a turn here. Have you ever taken a black and white picture? Well, I love black and white. <laughs> I, I love black and white. I, but it, it, I find it it's a kind of a... I mean, we know that for the more than probably the first hundred years of photography, black and white was the only game in town. And, and even beyond that, color printing wasn't that great. So the, the masters, Henri Cartier-Bresson, you know, Ansel Adams, um, Andre Cortez, Robert Capa, Brassai, and all these people, that was, that was it. That's all they had. I mean, I guess they developed Kodachrome in the 1930s, but the, the printing, wasn't that great. But now, I mean, I think we, we would all agree that the world is in color and there's important cultural events and activities and, that are integral to the story. So to me, it, it actually is far more logical and, and authentic to photograph the world as it actually is. Why would you photograph in black and white if the world's in color. Well, you would if there's nothing else, if that was the only game in town. So I love black and white. Everybody loves black and white. But <laughs> it's, you know, again, I, I mean, we all know that the masters photographed in black and white because that's all they had. But, you know, so I don't, I don't, I think it's a, it, to me, it's a conversation about, Canon versus Nikon or digital versus film. It, it, it literally doesn't matter. It, nobody cares because it's your film. It's, it's your photography. You got to do it in your own way, whether it's a pinhole camera, an 8x10 view camera, digital film, a Holga. Some, I, I've seen incredible work with a Holga. I've seen incredible work with a with 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 pinhole photography, so I like uh, uh, Hasselblad. It, it's a, it's a really for me it's a really boring conversation because it literally doesn't matter. Well, the, the, one of the one of the reasons I ask so your work is renowned for a real identifiable vibrancy to the color that's in there, and I did not know until last week. There's a whole thirty minute film on YouTube of something you did that is really cool and that you managed to get the very last roll of Kodachrome ever produced. And to take that as a kind of, oh, eulogy is probably the wrong word, but act of respect, act of remembrance. What what made you miss Kodachrome so much you decided to, to take on this huge project? I, I got sort of advanced word that they were going to discontinue all the Kodachromes, Kodachrome 40, Kodachrome 25, Kodachrome 200, and then finally Kodachrome 65, which was really the, the, the main film. And I just thought, you know, I photographed, I got, you know, hundreds of thousands of Kodachrome transparencies. I thought, I'd already moved over to digital when this happened, but I just thought, I just at that time couldn't imagine a world without Kodachrome. And I thought, 
you know, wouldn't it be great to get the last roll and to do this sort of homage to Kodachrome and um, go around and do something with it, a project. So I, you know, got the I got that the role I got and uh, went went flew to Rochester and have it. They gave it to me, and um, then I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And I thought, you know, <laughs> just just to just shoot, you know, play. I, I wanted to photograph uh, iconic places, iconic people. It wasn't such a scientific approach. Living in New York at the time, I thought, well. What's in what's in what's in New York, New York that's iconic? Well, there's Grand Central Station, and there's a few individuals I thought of, and it finally it turned out that one of the people who on my list was uh, Robert De Niro, who's a New Yorker, you know, iconic actor, and uh, so I photographed him, and and then I thought, well, since India was such a part of my life, why not go back there and and photograph various things. So I, I went there. Then on the way back, I stopped in uh, Istanbul and photographed uh, one of the most famous Turkish photographers who was a friend of mine, and then came home and had a few frames left. And then I thought, <laughs> I was kind of running out of time because of the lab and all that. So I shot a few other random pictures of uh, different things. But um, uh, yeah, it was fun. I, I, I was really surprised that, how slow the film was after shifting over to digital and routinely shooting at, you know, 400 ISO or 800. And now, you know, you can get great results at, at, at 6,400 or, or more. But I shot everything on a tripod because a lot of the pictures in the Kodachrome roll were, were interiors. And I found myself shooting sort of wide open at a 60th of a second or a 30th of a second or 15th of a second. And I thought, wow, that's how, how could I have actually shot with this film for so many years? <laughs> it's just impossible. No, knowing, knowing, knowing that you had the very last one in your hands, that that must have been fear-inducing every time you picked up the camera. Yeah, and then uh, I went through security, and I tried to get them to put. Not only I, I didn't want to take the film out, and the, the camera was all it was a mess with going through security with always for years going through security with rolls of film. Yeah. And then I got the film I and mean, then we flew to, to Kansas and had it processed. And unfortunately, most of the thing about Kodachrome was you, you had to be pretty exact with your exposure. It, it wasn't that forgiving. So, and then with De Niro, I shot six exposures to three different situations, two frames because I, I thought if there's if there's um, if he blinks or if there's um, motion, I, I don't want to spoil the chance. Of, you know. Now you had not met him before that session. Is, when I was watching the film, you you introduced to your, each other to yourselves uh, when he walks in the room. So how how did you wind up getting such remarkable pictures of him? Well, he you know we were in his in his kind of the, his kind of screening room, and I just thought. Um, let me get a picture of him in the projection room. And I thought we needed, you know, kind of an interesting lighting scheme. And uh, it was all kind of quickly put together because I don't, I probably, I don't know, I had 15, 20 minutes. Steve, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit and, and go to some of your individual images. 
Um, and and talk about you know not not only the story. You got a whole book, you know, you know, on, on the stories behind your photographs. But in the the images that are in Frames Magazine, there are two situations that you describe that I'd love to hear a little bit more about. The first is is the image that you call dust storm. The women in in the red outfits with the pots and the trees behind it and stuff like that. You talk about. You know, you're going along, this dust storm comes up. Your first instinct is to sort of protect the camera, not let, you know, dust get into the works. And then you realize, well, no, wait, here, here is this really uh, visually appealing, important moment. But we're talking really instantaneous sense of composition. When you're moving that fast, is this just experience that you know how to put together a shot? Are there elements that you're looking for? Uh, how do you go about composing a shot when you have no time whatsoever? Well, so when I started to realize, first I thought I was going to protect the camera, that, that's true. And then I realized, no, wait a minute, I, I got a, this is a dramatic situation with all this dust and wind. So then I started looking for something to photograph the same way when I was looking, working with the monsoon during this like really heavy rain, I'd have to drop everything I was doing and kind of run outside with an umbrella and search for the photo somebody, you know, running down the street or something going on. And it's just kind of frantic because you know, the rain's not going to last that long. So you're looking furiously for something to photograph. So I saw these women continue to drive down the road. And I, 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 I literally just jumped out with the, uh, the one camera and saw them, kind of in this sort of field. And uh, I think when I'm shooting, I I go for the first, what I think is the most obvious composition, and then I will adjust and th- maybe I go closer or, or farther back or maybe I decide it's better as a horizontal. But it's all happening fairly quickly. You know, you shoot one exposure and then in the next sort of second or two, you pull back or go closer or go from a horizontal to a vertical. Uh, but it's happening really, really fast. You just react really quickly. Um, it's, just, it's just a question of um, looking at it and thinking, well, too close, am I too far away? Or is this, is this exactly right? And if, it's, if you look at anything, no, no, this is, I have enough space here and sp- enough space there. Uh, and then you just kind of, Concentrate on the on the action, what the people are doing. And in that case, there wasn't a huge range of action, but I just thought, I just squeezed off. I, I think I shot a whole roll. I think I actually have a contact sheet with the whole roll of um, film. But they're not. Uh, it, it's not drastically different. But when you have all that wind and dust, and you're just thinking, you know what? I, I just have to keep shooting. You know, I, I can't stop. I just have to have to because I again, you know, this dust is the storm's going to stop, and sure enough, after a while, it just it, it's calmed down, and then the women went back to work, and I got back in my car and drove off. It, it's funny how obvious and yet urgent that bit of advice is to keep shooting. I, I think all of the photographic regrets in my life are the are the pictures I didn't take. You know, I looked over my shoulder. I said, "Oh, that would probably be a good picture," and then didn't stop. Yeah, Those are the ones. I, I feel sort of the same way. I know uh, going to Afghanistan, I was often 
thinking, well, I'm not going to really start shooting until I get to where the action is. And, and I'm now thinking back, I wish I had shot just more daily life or portraits of some of the people. Um, yeah, so I, I agree. I think um, you have to be thoughtful. And if you see something that you, you, you know, moves you, touches you, you, you better shoot it because then it's over and, and you're not going to be able to go back to that situation again. Yeah. I've mentioned this um, on other podcasts, but one of my favorite quotes is by a writer named Frank Conroy, uh, who once said, sometimes the light bulb will appear above your head, but it may be years before it turns on. In other words, I know this is important, but I don't know why. I'm going to capture it. I'm, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to take it with me. And I may not be right you know, to look at this picture yet, but with any luck in 10 years, I will be. Steve, you have a new book, and I'm in love with this book. Uh, it's called Stories and Dreams, Portrait of Childhood. I was going through the back. We've got the thumbnails, and if I've got it right, the oldest picture in here is 1980. The most recent is 2020. Tell me, tell me what gave you the idea for this book. Tell me what you're hoping to do with this one. Well, part of the inspiration for the book was my, my daughter, who, as I mentioned earlier, is, is just five years old. And uh, so this is my first time really being intimately connected to a, to a child and childhood and children and and all the and it, it's been utterly wonderful and fascinating so I, i've been but i've been photographing children along with other you know adults and since the beginning going back all the way to uh, 1972 so I, I i thought let me just go through my archive and see what i have and how it holds together and what kind of story it tells. And I started going through um, and realizing that I'd, I'd photographed children in literally all over the world uh, many times in different countries. And I just started to think, well, this would be a great way to show my daughter eventually. She, I don't think she really kind of understands it quite yet, but I dedicated the book to her and and I thought that uh, just to put everything together and see how children relate, you know, visually around the world and to tell stories of some children who are completely disadvantaged, some children who suffer with um, child labor, having to go to a, a job at, you know, 10 or years old, but also, you know, ch children's behavior. So, yeah, I thought it was great fun. Children are so innocent. They're so kind of spontaneous, and they just uh, are just free to, to do whatever they want. They're uninhibited, and uh, it, it, they, you know, they say them, you know, and, and act and do stuff which is complete, completely outrageous and, uh, and funny, and, and it, you never uh, – they're just so uh, wonderful, you know. It just – I never – you know, it's – it's just endlessly joyful and and pleasurable to hang out with a child. You, you know, that is a good way to describe it. Because I'm going through these. These are not, you know, sappy or sentimental pictures. These are not uh, pictures of, you know, angst and, and despair either, despite many uh, hard situations. They are almost without exception. You know, I can't think of one right now. As you said, joyful. It's, it's, is that Something that, that that you know we should put on the what is a Steve McCurry photograph? I mean, are, are, is your work finally joyful? Well, I, I would hope it would be compassionate and 
and humanistic and um, try and show our common humanity and show some of the life and it's it's complex and there's there's you know some places and some children i think we have to know those stories too i think if we're going to help to make this world a better place we need to understand that there are these problems in the world and and we we try we have to try and in in some way to alleviate that pain but also uh, there's life is wonderful and celebrate that as well so you know, for me, a lot of uh, my work is, I try and show both. I think there's a kind of a melancholy, kind of a sadness to some of my work. But I, that's the way I see the world in some ways. So I, but, you know, but I think we also have to, you know, celebrate the good moments. and Because, uh, you know, life should be full of, uh, you know, we should, I think in the end, I, I, it was it was a pleasure to be here. It was a lot of fun. I think I learned a lot of things, and um, I, I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that uh, there's times uh, when you know things aren't so wonderful, and but uh, you know I think if you in life if you say you know life, life first of all life is, is struggle. You know, it's 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 going to be a bumpy road, and uh, there's going to be ups and downs. But we we uh, there's times which are just completely, you know, the love and and full of love and understanding and and uh, and it just makes it all kind of worthwhile. But you know, otherwise it's a lot of drudgery and pick and shovel work. But uh, you know that, that that's okay. I, I, we we can all. Uh, Accept that, I Steve. I love it, and and you know, man, I I think you should go back and and retitle your your uh, your show based on that typo. I think it, I think it really ought to be the word of Steve McCurry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this, I, I'm going to have to. Yeah, I'm going to have to do a little <laughs> kind of a design thing where uh, you know you can somehow you can see the the, the, the joke in it that the, the typo, you know. <laughs> I love it. Steve, thank you very much. This has been fascinating. Pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.